I'm excited that we are beginning a brand new series today called This Is Us. Everybody say, This Is Us. Oh, do y'all understand what everybody means? I said, everybody say, This Is Us. That's a little bit better. This Is Us. And of course, you see that automatically for those that watch the television show. How many seen the television show, This Is Us? All right, look, please understand, I have to give a, a, a disclaimer here that I am not Although I do watch the show and love the show, I am not endorsing this show as the most morally, biblically wholesome show out there. How many of those, there's nothing out there that you could say that about, right? On secular television. Quite frankly, some, some Christian television you might need to stay away from. But, but what I'm just saying is difficult to find uh, any content that doesn't have things in it that would be disagreeable to a believer. But one of the reasons I love this show is because it's one of the few shows, if not the only show that I know of right now, that puts a huge emphasis on the role of a father in the home. And that, and that the father in the home can make a huge difference in the children's lives. It is a story, and I'm not going to ruin it for you if you decide to watch it, but I can just tell you this, don't, don't just start right now. You've got to watch the first episode because that's what hooked me. That first episode is one of the best writing on television I've seen in a while. And, but I'll tell you this, it, it reveals a family. A family, uh, shocker, that's dysfunctional. How many knows every family's got dysfunction, praise God? If you don't think your family is dysfunctional, you're probably the dysfunctional one. Come on. Are you hearing me? So one of the things that I love about the show is it shows, that's why I call it This Is Us. In other words, no matter what we bring to the table, no matter what we have to go through, no matter what's been done to us, it is what it is. We are brothers. We are sisters. We say this around this house all the time. We're in the foxhole together. We're in the foxhole together. When the bullet's flying, you're looking for your brothers and your sisters. Our military veterans, men and women, they'll tell you that they look at each other as brothers and sisters when they're in battle. You have to look at each other as family. Somebody say family. That's when we say SRC family, it's not just a cliche. We believe the Word of God. Did we not just say, did you not just say with your mouth, I believe I am everything it says I am. I believe I can do everything it says I can do. Did you say that? Well, then let me tell you, it means, one of the things it says when it has identity is for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, He's given them power to become the sons of God. So we are the sons and the daughters of God. So if, we're, if somebody is a son and a daughter of someone, that son and the daughter are brothers and sisters. We are brothers and sisters. The world thinks we're a cult because we call each other brothers and sisters. How many has ever called somebody else in the church brother? Brother Fred, come on, you hear me? Come on, Brother Ray, Sister Sue. Huh? The reality is this. We call each other that is because from the very beginning of the church, the church has been promoted as a family. We are family. Now, family is not always the most fun people to be around. Huh? How many know sometimes you're with family and you got to grin and bear it. But you know what? When it's all said and done, even the ones that you don't like, if people start talking about them, you will defend your family. Most of the time. Sometimes you'll be like, you're right. 
<laughs> I couldn't have said it better. But if you're a true family person, you're going to fight for your family. Now, I told this in the first service, and I'm blessed to say that she's with us in the second service, my youngest daughter, Rachel. But I, I told this about when we lived in our little house in Trafford, how when Rachel was just old enough to begin to try to start talking with you, not just saying words. You know that age where they start trying to think they know everything and they're communicating with you, and they're, they're just like, and they, you're so amazed how smart they are because of the conversations that they have. But they're really just learning how to talk. I think she was probably three, maybe, three and a half. But one day we just pulled into the little driveway there, and she just, out of nowhere, in her little pumpkin seat in the back, she said, Daddy, us is home. And I said, do you mean we are home? No, us is home. So then for a long time, a long period of time, she knew that we would always laugh at her. So when we'd pull in, she'd say, us is home. Us is home. And it became such a thing in our family that now we're empty nesters. Both our kids are grown and moved out of the house. And my wife will tell you, we get emotional. I'm not going to look at her because I'll cry. But there are times when we pull into our garage, just me and her, late at night after having a full day, and we're exhausted, and we pull in, the garage door shuts, and we look at each other, and at the same time we'll say, us is home. Somebody say this with me. Us is home. Say it again, us is home. We are home when we are together. We are the family of God. Are you hearing me, church? We are the family of God. Us is home. Home is us. This is us. Somebody say, this is us. One of the main reasons that we're going back to one service after several years of going to two services, is not having anything to do with crowds or anything like that. It has everything to do with God began many months ago to begin to speak to me. Unity, unity, unity. We need to be unified more than ever for what I want to do in this house. You've got to be together. You've got to be together. And you, although you, both services get the same message, there are times that, that I feel like sometimes, at least in this season that we're in, that, that we all need to be in the house together. So next week, all of our first service people are going to be in here with all of you, and we're going to be one house this is us, praise God. And I'm going to tell you, when we are all in this house, there's something's going to happen. I believe God is getting us ready for 2019, uh, getting us ready for our 25th anniversary, but more than that, getting us ready for kingdom impact on a level like we've never known. Are you with me, church? I said, are you with me, church? Amen. See, I want you to know that SRC family is one of the most amazing group of people I've ever experienced in my life. You have done and have done and are doing some incredible things. Ronald C., our missions director, who's back in Peru right now, he left Friday after Thanksgiving. He had Thanksgiving dinner with us. And one of the things he was telling me, he said, Pastor, I'm so glad that you wrote your book because in your book, even though I've known you for many years and I've heard you tell about things, there were things about the history of this house that I knew nothing about until I read that book. And I am absolutely stunned at the things that God has done in this build, in, in, this, in this SRC family. So I'm not trying to sell a book. I'm just trying to tell you that if you, there's so much, if all you've ever known is this building, or even the last building after it was restored, there's so much of the story of This Is Us that you don't know. If you read that book, you'll know it. 
We started out in 1994 in a storefront building in Gardendale with 10 people, less than 10 people. Maxed out at about 15 after one year. Woohoo! Then we moved to the mighty town of Trafford, Alabama. Glory to God. 1995 population in Trafford, Alabama, city limits, was 700 people. Last census that just happened recently, a few years ago, the population in Trafford, Alabama, had grown to 700 people. I don't know how that happened. I don't know how in the world, after all those years, that the population of the town of Trafford was the same. After all these years. But we were in what we call the little white building in Trafford, Alabama. You hear us talking about it all the time. If you want to know where it is, just find the Dollar General. Glory to God. How many knows? Everybody knows where the Dollar General is. And if you find the Dollar General, just turn around in the parking lot and look up on this little hill. And you'll see a little white house up there where somebody's living. That was our church for a little over a year. We got up to about 45 people and had some of the greatest moves of God I've ever experienced in my life. It was in that little white building that Ambassadors Bible College was birthed. Come on, somebody. Woo! With less than 45 people that would go on to license and ordain pastors and missionaries and evangelists that's been sent all over the world in that little building. It was in that little white building something called the ministry team was birthed. We didn't even know what leadership was. We didn't even know what ministry was. We started our ministry team. All this that you see happening, car parkers, people guiding and welcoming and doors open, it was birthed in that little white building. We moved from the little white building, what's known as the old hay barn, up Highway 79, and it was simply that. It was a dirt floor, no walls, creosote poles, and, and, and uh, hay for the cows, and not only hay for the cows, they were coming in there, and they were partaking of the hay, but they were leaving something behind, praise God. It was full, glory to God, of cow poop, praise God. And, but I'm telling you, it was amazing. It had a roof. That was old rusted tin that I'm not exaggerating had hundreds of leaks in it. And I'm going to tell you, the people of this house of the SRC family, this is us. Somebody say, this is us. The people of this house rose up and with their own hands poured a concrete floor, ran the pipes in the floor, done the electrical, did the sheetrock, put the ceiling in, put the lights in, built the stage, put the carpet down, put the linoleum down, all by themselves without paying anybody a dime. Praise God. And we had church in that building for seven and a half years it is still there now somebody's having a church in it now can somebody say amen somebody shout this is us then we moved to the rock school the old rock school that is now owned by the city of pension we sold it to them but let me tell you something when we when we got that building that property was pra- the, the land originally was appraised at 1.8 million dollars for seven and a half acres of land 1.8 million was the original they downgraded that to 1.2 so it was worth well over a million dollars just for a piece of property and then right in the middle of that piece of property was a huge massive facility known as the rock school the gym and all the other classes do you know how much it was worth? It was worth absolutely zero. It had been condemned. We had several appraisals. They put all the appraisal on the land and no value on the building. But somebody shout, this is us. Oh, y'all ain't helping me today. I said, somebody shout, this is us. 
until somebody stepped inside of a building and saw something in the building that nobody else could see. Praise God. We saw a vision. And praise God, for 14 months, six days a week, sometimes even seven days a week, we'd go up there after church. But six days a week, people, we would work. Volunteers would work. And we'd turn the old rock school into something that was nothing, into something that became something, praise God, to where we were able to get a, to get a loan and be able to buy that building, praise God. We had people in this house that would work eight to ten hours almost every day. They wouldn't even go home to their families. They would go straight to the church. They would bring a change of clothes, four, five, and six o'clock in the evening, and they'd go in there, and they'd eat some Little Caesars pizza, They'd change, put some work clothes on, and they'd work to 9, 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. There was one night, I remember, we was hanging sheetrock at 2 a.m. in the morning. Then they'd get up, they'd go home, they'd get up in the morning and go to work and do it again. Because they believed in the vision. Somebody shout, this is us. People mocked us and laughed at us. But now look at the rock school. I know we didn't do all this there. The city of Pinson did for the resources that they have. But can I tell you something? When you look at it and you see how beautiful it is, when you walk in there and take your family in there to the library that it's about to become, you just know this. That's the legacy of This Is Us. Give God the praise. We're not talking about ourselves. We're giving God the praise. I'm going to preach. I got time. It's my last second service. I'll take as long as I want. Y'all like it. No, just kidding. Just kidding. We begin to see immediate growth there. God began to birth many things. We were there for 10 years. And then God stretched our faith again to believe for a multi-million dollar facility that you are sitting in right now. And I don't have time to tell the story. It was incredible how God did it. But can I ask you something? Do you think God would have given us this building if he didn't expect us to use it? Huh? Do you think God would have given us that balcony if he didn't expect us to put people in it? Let me tell you something right now. God did not give us these pews that he did not decide, pre-decide before we ever signed on that loan that he was going to put some rear ends on those pews. Huh? Did I just say rear end? Yes, I did. At least I didn't say but. We're coming up on our 25th anniversary. I, I, I was a little nervous at first saying this because you never know what's going to happen. But then God said, why are you nervous? Just speak it. So I'm going to speak it. I know we don't care about numbers. When I say we don't care about numbers, we're not doing it just so we can have a notch in our belt. But let me tell you something. It is all about numbers. I promise you that section, that pew right there that doesn't have anybody sitting in it cannot lead anybody to Christ. No one sitting, that empty pew cannot lay hands on anybody sick and see them recover. But you put me somebody in those seats and they will be equipped in this house. Do you believe that? Say amen. So we're declaring right now. We're calling it 500 by 25. What does that mean? That means in one service, one service. See, if both services come together right now, if everybody comes, it comes right now. Uh, most preachers don't even like to talk about numbers. But I'm going to say it publicly. That's somewhere between 300, 350 people. I'm telling you right now, I'm declaring on one service by the time we get to when Perry Stone is coming, come on Jesus, praise God. In October, we ain't, we ain't relying on Perry Stone to grow our church, praise God. Perry Stone's going to come into a church that's already packed, already on fire, already experiencing awakening. So by October of 2019, not one time, but every Sunday, 
we're believing God we're going to average at least 500 people. Why? Not so we can say, whoo, we got 500 people. So I'm going to tell you, you put 500 people in this house, there is no telling what can happen of the impact on our city, on our county, on our state, on our nation, and on our world. Am I preaching right? Do you agree with me? Shout amen. amen. One good time shout, this is us. How <laughs> was my introduction? I'm not kidding. They've got my notes back there. They know it's true. Over several weeks, over the series that we're preaching now, it'll be this week and next week, and then we'll have all our Christmas celebration. The last Sunday of the month will be the 30th. That will be a separate standalone service. We will vision cast for 2019. We will, de- we will make declarations over our families. We will make declarations over this house. Are y'all with me, church? Are y'all feeling this? I'm getting excited. And then starting back on the first Sunday in January, we will pick back up on part three of this. And we're going to cover a lot of things. We are a loving church in this house. We are a life-giving church. We are a mission-minded church. We are a worshiping church. We are a community-minded church. We are a miracle-believing church. How many still believes in miracles? I'm not talking about just believing in them. How many is ready to see them? How many is ready to experience them? How many is ready to see God move in this house, giving praise? Come on. Come on. Come on, church. Hallelujah. Well, I got you all warmed up and sweetened up. Now I'm going to step on your toe. You ready? First thing on your notes is this. In order for us to do what we've got to do, we've got to get, this is what we've got to be. We are a generous church full of generous people. It's very important that you see that word. We are a generous church full of generous people. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says this, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Somebody say it's a matter of the heart. Not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves what kind of giver? A cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Verse 10 is powerful. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower. Y'all need to underline that in your Bible. And he supplies bread for food. Supply and multiply the seed you have sown. You have sown. And increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Woo! Man, what an introduction. And now I'm about to kick it into high gear. And I might have to talk like this. Because I found that when I talk like this, it makes it a little easier for some of y'all to take it. Next thing on your notes is this. At SRC, we want to be what kind of givers? Cheerful givers. We want to be cheerful givers. And notice as the scripture that we just read to you, in order to be a cheerful giver, it is a matter of the heart. It is not something you you do. It is who you are. 
The next thing on your notes is this. A generous lifestyle is a matter of the heart. A generous lifestyle, not a generous moment. A generous lifestyle. This is us. This is us. We are generous. We're not givers. We are generous. And I want to show you the difference between giving and being generous. So many people would say, oh, I, I would love to be generous. I just need a little bit more to give. If I had more to give, I'd be generous. Listen, it is in people's heart to give, but many times their situation, they've convinced themselves, doesn't line up with their heart. This is what we call living paycheck to paycheck. I want to go ahead and get off the order of my line up here and just say it this way. I call it a, a lack mentality. A lack mentality. See, here's the question. People will say, you know what, if I was rich, if I had more, I would do more. Well, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if you believe you're rich or not, but I want you to just think about this question. Do you consider yourself rich? I'm not talking about living in a mansion, but rich in finances, as in the world defines rich. You might be surprised. Listen to this. To be among the wealthiest half of the world. To be among the wealthiest 50% of the world. All of your assets, not just how much money you have, if your home, the equity in your home, your car, the equity in your car, savings, uh, your electronics in your house, and any kind of cash, these are your assets. If your assets add up to $3,210, you are among the 50% wealthiest people in the world. Think about what I just said. $3,200, not cash, $3,200 in assets makes you one of the 50% wealthiest in the world. To be in the top 10% wealthiest in the world, your total assets need to apply come to $68,800. So if your total assets, your retirement, your home, the equity, all of that adds up to, and there's many in this room, some that may not be, but there's many in this room that their assets would add up to $68,800, you are among the 10% highest, wealthiest people in the entire world. Here's the bottom line. If you have food in your refrigerator, do you have food in your refrigerator? Might not be the kind of food you like, but do you have food in your refrigerator? If you have clothes on your back, well, you ain't naked, so I'm talking to you. Do you have a roof over your head? I didn't say you owned it. Do you have a place to sleep at all? Say amen. amen. Listen to this. This is a fact. If you have food in your fridge, clothes on your back, and a roof over your head and a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of the world. Only 25% of the world even has that. Oh, I ain't through. If you have any money, even $1 in the bank, or your wallet, or even if you have any spare change, listen to me, a quarter in your pocket, listen to this, you are among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. 92% of the world has no cash 
at all with them. Is that insane? If you have never experienced the dangers of battle, the agony of imprisonment or torture, or the horrible pains of starvation, you are luckier than 500 million people of the world. 500 million people are in prison, are being tortured, are being starved. If you can read anything, you are more fortunate than 3 billion people in the world. 3 billion people cannot read one word in any language. Somebody say, this is us. You are blessed. You may not be rich in your mind, but you are blessed. Somebody say, I am blessed. I'm not talking about being blessed just to give something. I'm talking about becoming a generous giver, a cheerful giver. The next thing on your notes is this. Giving and being generous are two different things. Giving and being generous are two different things. The problem is, if you ask most Americans the question, are you generous? Do you think you're generous? Most will swallow their pride. Most may be a little awkward. They might say, well, you know, I think I'm pretty generous. I think I'm a pretty generous guy. But we're not. Americans are not generous. Let me tell you something that's even sadder. The church is not generous. People in the church are not generous. Watch this. The average American, out of all that they earn, only gives, listen to this, 2.8% of what they bring in. This is key. Total in any way. That means to their neighbor. That means to the homeless. That means to the Salvation Army when they drop it in the bucket, when they're ringing the bell at Christmas. That means when they give in their church. When that, that means if they give to the Red Cross, if a, if, a, if a hurricane comes through and they're giving. I'm talking about total of everything they give at all. This is not tithes and offerings. comes to 2.8%. 2.8% of what God has blessed them with. And here's the insane thing. Statistics tell us the more you make, the less you give. Do you understand the number one classification of givers in any church across America are those who are under the government def definition of poverty are just above the poverty level. They are the ones who are sustaining the kingdom of God. The ones that make the most money, of course every church has uh, some of the faithful ones, but the ones that make the most money typically are the people who give the least when it comes to what 10% or whatever, a tithe or whatever it is. They, they typically are the least givers. Why? Jesus knew that. Jesus never said money is the root of all evil. He said love of money is the root of all evil. Did he not also say, he didn't say it's impossible for a rich man to make it into heaven. He said it's harder for a rich man to make it into heaven than it is for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Because the more we make, the more that number of giving goes up when you're talking about percentages and the harder it is for you to let go of. Listen to this. The average American gives 2.8%, period. If you make $100,000 a year or more, once somebody gets to $100,000, because remember what we're saying is if I had more, I would give more. That's what we say, right? Watch what happens. When some, the average goes when you make $100,000 or more, from 2.8 to 
So at $100,000 or more, two decimal points less is what the average person that's wealthy or doing pretty good in life is giving. So it's a matter of the heart, right? It's not really a matter of being able to afford it. It's a matter of the heart. Because remember, did God's word not just say in 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 9, verse 10, we just read, watch this, now may he, notice he is capitalized. Now may he, who are we talking about? God. Who supplies seed to the sower. You need to get this. You need to pray for your bladder to hold on right now because y'all don't need to get up and go to the bathroom right now. Who supplies seed for the sower, bread for food, supply and multiply the seed that who has sown? You have sown. Somebody say he's talking to me. So he gives you the seed and then he says, I will multiply your seed, but I can't multiply it in the cabinet. I can only multiply it when you sow it. And notice he didn't just say, I'll make the seed do what it's supposed to do. I will increase the fruits of your righteousness. In other words, your seed on its own is going to produce fruit. But that's a blessing in itself. But my favor is, I will make the apple tree bear more apples than it's even naturally capable of producing. That's what, that's what it means when he says, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. See, if it wasn't a multiplication like that, it would simply be, we sowed a seed, we got a seed. No, when we sow a seed, we get an apple tree. But we don't get the apple tree to pick and our families to pick and our loved ones to pick from that point forward if we don't sow the seed. Oh, my God, this is good, man. You better slap your neighbor and tell him he's talking to you. Mm-hmm. Not a whole lot of people said that because they didn't want because you know why a lot of people didn't say that because I was really talking to you. Mm-hmm. Well, somebody said this is us. We're in the foxhole together. What do you? What kind of pastor do you want? Do you want a pastor that's going to tell you the truth? You know I'm not beating you up. I'm building you up. See, paycheck to paycheck mentality is people who think there's too much left of the month after the money has run out. Think about this. Next thing on your notes is this. We lack, we lack because we consume the harvest and the seed also. Did you hear what I just said? We lack because we consume the harvest and the seed also. See, we get, see, with the end of the month, there ain't nothing left to give to God. Because we have not only consumed what he blessed us with, we've also consumed what he gave us to sow back for our future. Am I preaching good? See, here's how I'm going to break it down to make it easier for you to understand. Imagine, if you will, Alabama Power, every month at the beginning of the month, let's say your bill came at the end of the month, but at the beginning of the month, They sent you a letter and a check that said, now, you're about to go into the month and you're going to be using electricity. We here at Alabama Power want to make sure that you're comfortable and beyond that, there's no stress in your life whatsoever. So therefore, we've anticipated based on the averages 
of this time of the year, the climate in which you live, we anticipate your power bill to be X amount. Therefore, we have included a voucher to cover all of your power bill for the coming month. But you are responsible to not spend it until the bill comes due. And when the bill comes due, just drop it in the mail and your power is taken care of. Are y'all hearing me? In other words, Alabama Power says, I'm going to sow a seed into you that is for one specific purpose. To pay the bill when it comes due. See, here's what most people would do. Some people would be disciplined and saying, don't you touch that. I mean, it's laying right there, cash money made out to you. And, you, and that's the thing. You can go cash it. You can go do anything you want to with it. It just says it's up to you because the bill's coming due anyway. But we're taking care of it if you'll just discipline yourself. But most people will look at that and say, you know what? It's been a long time since we've been to the movies. When was the last time we had a date night? Cash that, going to go find a big, get us a steak, come on somebody, and we go into the, I'm not saying you don't need a date night. I'm not saying you don't need to go spend some, some money on your spouse and have a date night. But I'm going to tell you something, if you know the power bills come and do, and you already got a seed to cover it, don't consume the seed also. So God says, when I bless you with a job, and I bless you with income, I include in the income the seed that you need, not only to take care of your family, but to, it does something supernatural that takes you out of the natural into the supernatural realm and does something in the spirit realm that opens up windows of heaven, pours you out blessings, 30, 60, 100 fold, all kinds of things happen. But guess what? You don't even have to do that on your own. I've already provided you the seed. But if you eat the whole loaf and do not cut off a portion of the loaf for God, then you have nothing at the end of the month when the month runs out to sow for the next month, the next quarter, the next year, and even your legacy. Is this good preaching? See, the next thing on your notes is this. God can't multiply what you do not sow. God can't multiply a seed that has not been put in the ground. You have to sow it. But if you eat it, you can't sow it. See, the lack mentality cycle is simply this. God supplies, listen to this, we consume, we lack, we fear, we consume. That's the cycle. Listen. God supplies, we consume, we lack, we fear, so we consume more. Because out of fear, we're driven to hold on to more. Fear causes you to hold on. Faith causes you to release. Is this good preaching? This is us. Somebody say, this is us. See, y'all thought this was going to be some tear-jerking, sweet little sermon today, didn't you? Y'all like, I can't wait to hear what he's going to preach on. This is us. He's going to talk about Jack. <laughs> Only those that watch the show know what I'm talking about. 
Although one of, one of the parts of the series in January is going to be called You Don't Know Jack. And only my This Is Us peeps know how awesome that is. God can't multiply what you don't sow. I've given this illustration before. When you leave here today and you go get something to eat, Fulton Day, whatever, run into Lowe's. Do this as an experiment. Go back there in the lawn and garden and remember the words your pastor said. Go back to the lawn and garden section. And I know it's winter, but there's still seeds there. Go up to the section where the seeds are. Larry Harper knows this more than anybody. This is the green thumb, master, Holy Ghost, anointed horticulture man of the, of the hour. Worked for 30 years at the Birmingham Botanical Gardens. The one that makes everything look so beautiful in the front. Can we show some love for Larry out there? But watch this, Larry. Am I telling the truth? A seed is powerful. I mean powerful. But you go to Lowe's, you find all the little packs of seeds. What do they do? They put them in these little packages of, of paper. And you know what they do? They put on the front a picture of what the potential of that seed is. Am I preaching right? They say, look, if you do right and take care of this thing, but more importantly than anything, plant it. And if everything goes right, you do everything you possibly can as the rain and the sunshine and all that comes. This is what this potentially could look like. And you'll be like, that looks good. I love me some tomatoes. Or I love me some whatever, some okra. Come on. You'll be looking at, but guess what? You can't just go home and open up the pack of okra seed and just go. Nobody loves okra seed out of the bag. But they like okra. So what people do sometimes is they'll get those seeds and they'll set them seeds in their cupboard and they'll go on with their life. And the potential of that seed is never known. Do you know it's very interesting that they went into a tomb in Egypt. This is fact. You can research this. And I forget which tomb it was, but they found in this tomb that was thousands and thousands of years old a little container. And they opened up this container that had been sealed and in that container was seed that had been in this tomb for thousands of years. They took that seed out, one or two of those seeds, and they planted it in the ground. And those seeds produced a harvest, grew to its potential, and gave a harvest. Because the potential of the seed never died. It was simply that somebody sealed it up and never planted it. Are y'all hearing me? I got to hurry. It's twelve seventeen. if you're taking medicine. After 29 years, that joke may have finally worn out. <laughs> Nobody laughed. I've been telling that joke for 29 years. And I always get a good laugh. It's time to get some new material, buddy. <laughs> I'm so lost now, I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> Potential. Oh, yeah, I know what I was going to say. This is one of the be best life lessons for me that I always remember. When I was living at home with my mom, I remember my grandmother, who's been passed away since I was in high school. I remember she would always eat apples. And she would always come up to our back door and have an apple in her hand. And she'd eat that and she'd just throw the, the apple core out in the yard. The birds would come pick it. 
And one day, she, long after she had passed away, I was, you know, punk teenager, didn't want to do anything around the house, but my mom was making me, grounding me, threatening to ground me. So I'm out there cleaning all this, cleaning up debris in the backyard, and I'm pulling trees out, just pulling them up and just throwing them away and stuff. And I go over there, and this tree's about this tall, and I'm getting this on the side of a hill there, and it's, it was moist enough I could have just grabbed it, and I could have probably pulled it up out of the ground, I, I thought. And I was over there with it, and I was about to mess with it, and my mother just started screaming. Don't touch that tree. I said, you told me to do this. She said, that tree's special. That's an apple tree. And that's going to be an apple tree one day. And I said, did you plant an apple tree? She said, no. But my mother threw an apple over there many years ago. And the dirt on the side of that hill covered up that apple. And out of nowhere from that apple that she ate and threw in the ground, now there's an apple tree. So, so, see, she just threw it away, thinking there was no value in it. That's how powerful a seed is when it's finally planted or sowed. Am I preaching right? I'm, I'm telling you right now, I am determined to equip a church that breaks the spirit of lack over your house. Are you tired of it? Come on. Are you tired of it? Break it. Well, I'm glad you're tired of it because now I'm going to tell you how to break it. The next thing in your notes is this. Tithing breaks the cycle of lack and creates a cycle of supply. Tithing breaks the cycle of lack and creates a cycle of supply. What do you mean by a cycle of supply? Bring your tithes and offerings. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 says, Bring all your tithes into the storehouse that there might be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour you out such blessing that there's not room enough to receive it. And now watch, this is the key. This is the most important part of this whole passage. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Now watch this. So that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine bear the fruit before, it is you, before you in the field, says the Lord. Before it's time in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Why is that the most important part? I think even more important than the windows of heaven opening. And that's important because the Bible says every good and perfect down come, gift comes down from the Father of life. It's important because that word devour, when you look it up in the original Hebrew, in your Strong's Concordance, the word devour is defined simply with two words, seed eater. That's what devour means, seed eater. So he says when you are tithing and you are giving and you're bringing your offers to the storehouse, I personally, God says, I will personally rebuke, be your Holy Ghost scarecrow. Come on, somebody. I will stand over your seed. Isn't it, isn't it interesting that a scarecrow hangs like this? The sign of the cross. I will stand over your seed. And while the seed is doing what it's supposed to do because you planted it and the enemy comes in and tries to steal the seed. Notice it didn't say steal or devour the harvest. Because God knows it's one thing for them to devour the harvest, but it's another thing to devour the seed. Because the seed has more potential in it than the harvest. Because the harvest comes in cycles. It comes over and over again. But it can only come over and over again if the seed was not first trusted and believed. So he said, I will rebuke the devourer or the seed eater for your sakes. So doesn't it, doesn't it make sense that he's saying, 
It's evil and not right to eat the seed. So if he is rebuking a seed eater, and you are eating the seed. See, we are supposed to eat the harvest, not the seed. So if God is rebuking the devil for trying to steal your seed, remember what he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man that went forth to what? Sow seed. Are you still with me, church? That's what Jesus said, to sow seed. You want to understand the kingdom of heaven? It's like a man that sowed seed. Talks about the different kind of grounds that it falls in. But later on, when he's explaining it to his disciples, he says, the first thing you need to understand is this. The seed is the word of God. Faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And he says, what happens? The, the thief, the enemy, comes in immediately and tries to steal the seed away. Notice when he told Abraham, he told Abraham, I'm going to bless you. No, he said, I'm going to bless your seed. Go back and read. It's amazing. He never says, I'm going to bless your son. He says, I'm going to bless your seed. He says, your seed shall be numerous in all the stars of the heavens. Your seed shall be numerous in all the sands on the beaches of the whole entire world. He says about the seed. Isn't it interesting that in the Garden of Eden, when Satan, the serpent, the devourer, stole the identity of Adam and Eve, not stole it, but basically they gave it to him, and the curse came in, and he rebuked the devil, and so told the devil he will crawl on his belly all the days of his life. And he says, but know this, one day, listen to the power of this, there is a seed of a woman coming. And you will bruise the seed's heel, but the seed of the woman will crush your head. It's a prophecy of Jesus. Jesus is known as the seed of God. He's the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word became flesh, was planted as a seed in the belly of a virgin. Are you hearing me? Jesus understands the seed. In fact, when he, I'm hurrying, when he rebuked, I'm coming to a close. When he rebuked Adam and Eve and told them, because you have sinned and you're no longer covering the glory, we love you, but you can't stay in the garden anymore. He, he put them out of the garden. Didn't give man access to the garden anymore. But he said, a lot of things have changed because of what you did. But one thing will never change. Go back and read it in the book of Genesis. This is what he says. One thing will never change. There's nothing that you did and there's nothing you can do that will ever change this. He said, as long as the earth remains, there will remain seed, time, and harvest. Notice it's not harvest, then plant a seed. Seed, time, and harvest. That's what he says. Seed, time, and harvest. Say it with me. Seed, time, and harvest. So you've got to plant the seed, but then you also have to be faithful to give it time. Some people hear a message like this, and you know, a lot of preachers, you know, I'm not going to do it, but a lot of preachers will take up an offering at the end of a message like this. I ain't doing it. But the next service, well, they'll leave, well, bless God, from now on we're giving. 
And they'll come in next Sunday, and I'm praise God, whatever God tells you to do, you do it. But here's the reality. You'll come in with a mentality, I'm going to do it. Pastor said God's going to bless me, so you're going to sow a seed next Sunday, and then all hell breaks loose the following week, and all of a sudden you're saying things like, well, I didn't have it this bad before I ever did that. I just, God understands me, and then you pull it right back. You didn't even get it. It's, it's it the same thing as you going out there working all day long, clearing the field, tilling the ground, putting your seed in there, covering up, putting the fertilizer on it, getting up the next day and say, you know what, I need that seed back, and digging it all back up. You have to give it time. You have to be faithful. Somebody say faithful. Next thing you notice is this, and I'm closing. It takes faith to give first. It does not take faith to give last. It takes faith to give first. It does not take faith to give last. Some of y'all are so proud of yourself when you get to the end of the month and everybody's paid and you've got a little bit left over to drop in the offering bucket or, or to sow into somebody that's you know, needing help. I'm not just talking about offering. I'm talking about just being a giver. And I'm proud of you. I'm proud of the fact you do that. But the, that's a lack mentality. You've got to change that mentality to saying, you know what? I'm not putting anything else before God. Does the Word of God not say, anything you put before me is a God? Any, let me tell you something. Anything you put before God becomes your God. It's not just money. How many of Alabama and Auburn can be your God? Hmm? If your team lost and you couldn't come to church because of it, it's your God. Let me tell you something. I preached through the whole Mike DeBose and Mike Shula years. Don't make it your God. Your car can become your God. Your house can become your God. A person, a spouse can become your God. Your children can become your God. Selah. I wish I had about 10 more minutes. You sure? I'm just kidding. I'm going to hit it fast and you can write it down. Three quick things that tithing teaches us. Very quick. I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to preach them. I'm just going to tell you. The first thing it teaches us, it teaches us to put God first in every area of our life. You say, well, I'd love to do that, Pastor, but I'd have to change a lot of things in my life. Yep. I'd have to let some things go to put God first. Yep. You probably need to let it go anyway. Because if you've got the ration in your mind that I may not be able to keep this in order to be faithful to God, you probably don't need that in your life in that season. Number two, it builds our faith. It builds our faith. I'll say this. My wife and I got engaged. A lot of my mess come out that I had hidden from her and everybody else. I know I always sound like I'm trying to sell a book, but it's in the book. I don't even want to talk about it. But when it came out and Sandy decided to stay with me, even after finding all this out, the first thing she said we're going to do, she said, we're going to sit down and talk to my mom and dad. Because she had watched them be faithful her whole life. I'll never forget it. Elaine looked at me, my mother-in-law. Wasn't my mother-in-law yet. She said, let me tell you something. If you're going to marry my daughter, you want to get out of this mess, you need to understand something. From this day forward, for the rest of your life, this is what she told me, before we ever said I do, every dollar that comes into your house or in your hand, 
you make sure you take 10% out and give it to God before you pay any. She said, if you'll do that, God will bless you and Sandy for the rest of your life. Did she not? So we did it. We did it. And I'm not saying that to brag on us, but I'm going to tell you, I'm telling you this for a reason. We could not afford to do it. We did not have anything. In fact, what little bit we had, the more she found out about me, the more she realized that she thought we had more than we did because what little bit of money we made on our, both of our jobs, I was having to pay past debts that she didn't know about that I brought into the marriage. One of them was even a repossession of a truck. And I don't know if you know how this happens, if you ever have one repossessed. When they repossess the vehicle, they, they then sell it on auction and they get as much as they can for it. But if you owe more, if you owed more than what they got at the auction, you got to pay the difference. So my truck was repossessed. Some other dude's driving my truck and I get a bill. I don't know how many thousand dollars it was. About $3,000. I remember looking at that thinking, are you kidding me? I got to pay $3,000 for another man to drive this truck? And God said, he didn't do this. You did. He didn't sign the original agreement. You did. And your integrity will not allow you not to pay this. So you know what we did? Never missed paying tithes, never missed bringing offerings. But over years, a little bit of time, a little bit of time, we paid for another man's truck to restore my credit. There were times that, even as a youth pastor, I wanted to go out with the young people after church, but we couldn't go. We had to send them. We couldn't even afford Taco Bell. And that's back when they had the 99-cent menu. Remember them? 59-cent taco. Come on, Jesus. We went home and ate a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. We told God, we will not eat your seed. We will not eat the seed that you gave us to sow. God has blessed us. God's restored my credit many, many years ago to about as good as you can have. And that's not because I make a lot of money. I don't. I don't make much money at all. But here's the reality. Most of my life I haven't. It's just about being faithful. It's just about being faithful. Somebody shout, this is us. The last thing I'm going to say is this. The tithe, the third thing is the tithe provides for the work of God's house. It makes it very clear in verse 10 of Malachi 3 that you are bringing the tithes into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house, meat, sustenance. Nowadays, it would be that, the, that what we give back to the community. Right now, all over, this all over this facility, there are television screens and music playing with your kids, teaching your kids how to worship, teaching your kids how to pray. All of this facility, but more than that, the missionaries that we support all over the world we have an annual in-house missions trip every year in May. We also support the mission that's there now. Jimmy Hill Mission, Operation Christmas Child, Homeless Ministry, Our Food Bank and Other Food Banks, Christmas Angel Tree, uh, our local schools, our community outreaches, just to name a few. If you were not faithful in your giving, that would not be possible. Many of you are recipients of those things. But, don't, but do not sow back into those. You're being fed well. You're being fed well. Don't walk the check. Don't walk the check. Isn't it time in your walk with God 
that it becomes more than something that you say when you hold your Bible up? That it becomes who you are? Aren't you tired of saying, I believe I can do everything it says I can do? Aren't you ready to actually do what it says you can do? Aren't you ready to actually be who it says you can be? I am. Are you ready? This is us. With every head bowed. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for our SRC family. Lord, I pray that your word today was not taken with a spirit of offense, but every heart in this place was a teachable spirit. Because today is a foundational message for the vision casting and the things that you have placed in my heart as the Father in this house, where you are taking us. It's going to cost. It's going to cost not only finances, but it's going to cost time. It's going to cost people investing, sharing of themselves, deciding to sacrifice. Lord, you've not given us a building that we have to work for 14 months, six days a week to one and two o'clock in the morning. We walked into a building that was already ready, our first ever building, already ready that we walked in. Had to do nothing to it, God. Somewhere along the way, God, we lost a little bit of our identity because most what we've always done, this is us, is worked with our hands and served, got our hands dirty, had to stretch our faith beyond any level that we ever dreamed. It's time for us to finally be what we declare we want to be. This is us. This is who we are. So while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Larry, the first step to anything I understand is I have to make sure my heart is right with God. If you'd like me to help you pray a prayer of repentance, whether it is the first time you've ever been saved, maybe a rededication to the Lord because of some things that's happened in your life and you know we're not right, or maybe even today, this message has pricked your heart and made you realize, Lord, I, I need to confess to you that my faith has not been where it needs to be. God, with everything that's within me, I'm asking you to help me be what I've declared that I want to be. One man told Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. Listen, you may not have all the faith that you need, but give him what you have. He'll make up the difference. If you need me to help you pray for any of those reasons, would you raise your hand while every head is bowed so I can see them? I'm, oh, my God, I see them. I see hands going up, my Lord. This is awesome. This is awesome. Every section, children, teenagers, adults are raising their hand. Praise God. Now let's stand to our feet, church. Let's stand to our feet. We know who we are. And we know who we want to be. We know what God, who God has said we have the capabilities of being. So as we get ready to go to one service, this is it, y'all. Next week we're back together. One service. I want it to be more than just a service time change. Can we as SRC family believe that a unity he got that much? That a unity like we have never experienced 
is about to be birthed in this house. And it is there, the Bible says in Psalm 133, that I will command the blessing. I declare in the name of Jesus, this place will be so full of one mind and one accord. Miracles. Lives change. Your finances are going to be touched and turned around. Marriages are going to be saved and restored. Kids are coming home to be who God has called them to be. This is us.